Amen. All right, you can go ahead and get in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, good to have you uh, today in our uh, Marriage 101 class, and it's uh, just our uh, second week. And uh, everybody, if you don't have uh, one of these little pieces of paper, if you'll lift your hand, my wife will get your one. Those are for turning in anonymous questions at the end of class. And uh, you should have gotten the, uh, either last week or, or this week, uh, one of our surveys, uh, sheets to fill out with a blank envelope. And I had a couple people give them to me already. I haven't even opened them. And I'll open them all at once so that they can just be truly anonymous. And uh, up in the front there, some stacks of books uh, called His Needs, Her Needs. And uh, th there's no book like the Bible. Uh, it's 100% accurate. Uh, but in our bookstore, uh, we have some good books on marriage, and this is one of them. Uh, they're free uh, for coming into the class. And uh, every couple, if you would, when you at the end of class, you know, bring up you know those papers. Whether you just put a little X on them or make some snide remark or turn in a legit question and, and grab one of those. It's a hardcover book. It's a gift uh, from the church uh, for you. Uh, as pastor, I want to invest in the relationships of our people, and uh, that's a part of, of how we do it. And uh, and so get that, uh, read it. Uh, depending on your personality type and how your relationship is, you know, there's a whole survey thing you can do in the back, and, uh, you know, some people do like that stuff, some people don't. Um, my wife and I are really not those kinds of people. We both just read the book separately, but uh, I, I think it's good, and it really fits well with uh, our subject uh, for uh, today. You should be in your Bible in, in Luke chapter uh, 19. But before we uh, get to that, uh, I want to just congratulate you on being here. Um, you know, people in here are in all kinds of situations. I mean, we have people who have been married a long time. We have people who are not yet married but soon to be married. We have people who have good marriages that want them to be better, okay marriages that want them to be decent. Uh, and no matter what your situation is or why you're here, uh, I believe that God has uh, the answer for your marriage, and I commend you on investing uh, in that relationship. Re remember, uh, nearly 100% of people who walk down their marriage aisle love one another and believe that their marriage is going to last. And yet 50%, they tell us, fail. And what we need to be learning from that is that it takes more than love and good intentions uh, to stay together and have a, a happy home. And last week, uh, we talked about marriage being God's institution. He designed it. He started it. And uh, so without the principles that he designed that institution to function with, it's never going to function uh, correctly. Uh, everybody knows what this is, right? Uh, an adjustable wrench, or I used to call them a crescent wrench. And um, let me ask you a question. Can I drive a nail in with this? If I hit it long enough and straight enough, can I drive that in with that? But you know what? That's not what this is designed for. Now, it'll work some using it the way I want to use it. But if I use this the way it was designed on different size nuts and bolts to turn them, this thing functions really, really well as a wrench. 
but just okay as a hammer. And you know, our marriages are like that. Go ahead, do it your own way. But don't expect it to work out like our Creator designed marriage to work. He designed marriage to be a place that every man and woman, every husband and wife could find security, love, uh, support, friendship, uh, loyalty, all different kinds of things. Everybody wants that from their marriage. Uh, But you're only going to get what marriage is designed to do if we do it God's way. And that's what this class really is about. And last week, we really, we just talked about the most basic principles from the Bible about marriage. Leave and cleave. Leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse. Uh, Somebody turned in a question. Could you elaborate more on what it means to cleave to your spouse? Uh, You know what? It means to cling to them. It means to be close. And that is a little bit different for everybody. I mean, I've known couples, and to me this is crazy, but it worked for them. I mean, they literally got up in the morning, had breakfast together. They rode in the car together to work. They worked in the same department in the factory. In fact, they refused to work in different departments in the factory. They took their breaks together. They took their lunch together. They took their afternoon break together. They ate dinner together. Uh, You know what? Uh, For cleave, for them, if that's what it meant, you know, that's fine. Now, for us, that's a little much. Uh, Quite frankly, I I think that might drive her nuts. Uh, But but what it does mean is there should be a special personal way that you have a closeness and you cleave to your spouse. It is not just leaving your father and mother. And it is not just cleaving. It is both of those things. It's a basic Bible principle. Uh, now, as we begin uh, our, our lesson, uh, just like all uh, every week, I'm going to review these um, you know, eight or nine things. And I want to plant these deeply in, in every heart here. Number one, nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point uh, by anybody in your relationship. What's done is done. Number two, all that any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, it can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day. You're not going to get out in a day. Uh, But by the grace of God, you can get out. Uh, Number four, you can only control one person in the world. And so I ask that you focus on that one. Uh, You will never fix the faults of your spouse. They have to fix them. Uh, And you will never fix them focusing on them. You will always do best focusing on fixing yourself. And then you put your spouse in the best possible circumstance for them to change. Somebody one time turned in just this remark on their survey. I hope uh, this class will fix my spouse. You know what? I do too. But, but in the end, uh, you can't fix your spouse. There's only one person you can control. And so I'll focus on that one. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. You know, God is love. Uh, you may be here today and, and, and say, do you know what? Now that I look back, I don't think I ever loved him. You know what? Uh, because God is love, you can begin to love them. Uh, you might be sitting here today and say, you know what? Uh, I don't uh, love them anymore. Uh, you know what? Because God is love, you can love them again. You could easily be sitting here and saying, you know what? I don't love them enough. Uh, because God is love, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Someone said love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for a lifetime that makes a miracle. 
Someone said it's not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship and effort that makes unhappy marriages. Someone said one advantage of marriage is that when you fall out of love with him or he falls out of love with you, it keeps you together until you can fall in again. God is love. Now, number six, no one is destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. If it was bad, uh, you can succeed. Number seven, no one is assured of having a great home. If you were raised in a great home, you can fail. Number eight, the person to whom you're married right now is a person to whom you're supposed to be married. Not some dream of somebody you dated for nine hours back when you were in high school. Uh, number nine, the marriage you're in right now is a marriage you're supposed to be working on. Uh, and then just like usual, start out with some questions that have been turned in. Question number one, how do I ask? And, and of course, these are all related to our subject last week, leave and cleave. Question number one, how do I ask my in-laws to request our visits less often? Uh, you need to first ask yourself, are their requests reasonable or unreasonable? You know, sometimes reasonable requests are not convenient. If their requests are reasonable, you need to inconvenience yourself to fulfill that relationship. Every relationship, if it's healthy, requires investment. If their requests are unreasonable, you need to learn how to say no, and you need to control your own house. You know, also, by the way, uh, you shouldn't be asking your in-laws anything. Uh, it is always best if each person handles their own family. Question number two, how do I get my wife to stand up to her mother? Uh, or a related question, how do I tell my parents they're too involved in my marriage? You know, that's a lot tougher than you might think if you're not in that situation because some uh, parents, uh, they're pretty unreasonable. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, is, is what you think going on really going on? Are, are they really too involved? Uh, is my wife... Uh, really being controlled too much by her mother. R remember, our perception of things is the first question we always have to address because sometimes we perceive some situation as being such and so, and it's really not. I mean, for instance, if your in-laws or, or your parents are providing granny sitting, you know what, it's unreasonable for you to just think that you're just going to drop the kids off and, and pick them up. You, you know what, you, you have some level of involvement there, and you just have to live with that. Um, you need to ask yourself some other questions. Are you uh, still living on your parents' buck? You know, a lot of times parents uh, will try to control uh, their adult children with financial incentives. You know, maybe you need to go without some things so that you have your independence. You just have to face this situation honestly, and in the end, each person should deal with their own parent, and um, and the specific answer, to be honest, it, it varies on the spiritual condition, situation, and, and the people involved. Get godly counsel. Question number three, how can I change my priority to my husband when I've made our children first since they were born? Uh, first off, nothing ever gets fixed until somebody admits there's a problem. Uh, the first thing I would do is I would ask your husband, uh, does he think there's a problem? You know, quite frankly, you might think that he feels like he's not getting attention in his own mind. Well, no man thinks he's getting enough attention. L 
so let me go back just a little bit. Um, maybe he actually is getting enough attention and, and you're just being too hard on yourself. You, you need to first, like, like always, you, you've got to uh, take an honest look at the situation or, or you'll never fix anything. And you know what? If you really are putting too much priority in the children and, and not enough on your husband, then you need to just change that. And if it's been really bad, you know what? You should sit him down and, and, and talk to him and apologize and, and, and ask him. Say, you know what? You know, when, when you feel this is going on, would you speak up, please? Because I don't want to do this, but I, I, I just I, I, I get caught up in it. And um, by the way, making your husband a priority, just like a husband making his wife a priority, that actually helps your children. Uh, it helps your children because they have a healthier parental relationship. It helps your children because you'll be a better example to them. Uh, I, I, I think I, I don't know why people don't think through this, uh, but but you know that you're really modeling what it means to be married to your children. And by the way, you're raising your children, the way you're handling them. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, people set their children up for bad marriages. And uh, please don't do that. Question number four, why doesn't the Bible specifically say the woman should leave her father and mother? Because uh, remember, in, in Genesis it says uh, that Adam said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And, so, and the Bible basically doesn't need to. I mean, doesn't need to repeat that for, for the woman. And, and because of the picture that marriage is, you know, uh, in the marriage relationship, the husband his relationship with the wife, it, it pictures Christ's relationship with the church. And a wife's relationship with her husband uh, pictures a church's relationship with the Savior. And so because of that picture, that, that marriage is in general, and, and just the sensibility of it all, I mean, how does that make sense that a husband is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, but the wife doesn't have to leave her father and mother or cleave to her husband? You, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. And my guess is the roots of that is some lady who has too much relationship with her parents and wants to excuse it. Um, question number five. By the way, we all want an excuse for what we're doing. Uh, it takes a genuinely humble heart to just honestly compare our life, our relationship, our, our marriage to, to the truth. But that's how we fix it and grow. Question number five, what kind of relationship does God want you to have with your in-laws? Um, now, some of you wish I'd say none whatsoever. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, God wants us to have healthy relationships with lots of people. I think it is silliness that some people have this idea that, you know, some people think, well, the son, you know, should just abandon his relationship with his parents and just have a relationship with her parents or vice versa. I, I think that's silliness. I, I, listen, if you had your first child, you thought to yourself, man, I can never love any more than this. And then your second child, and you somehow were able to love the second child too. You, you know, the love that we have inside of us is not a finite amount. Uh, you can love his family, you can love her family, you can have relationships with both. And, and really, unless the situation and circumstances are pretty extreme, 
God expects you to maintain those relationships. And I know there's a few exceptions to that, but not too many. Uh, get some godly counsel about the specifics of your situation. Question number six, how much time is healthy to spend with single friends and how much time alone is a couple? Uh, you know, the answer to that, it, it varies from, from couple to couple and from friend to friend. You know, some friends are, are bad influences. Uh, some are kind of neutral and some are good influences. Uh, I always felt like as a husband and as a parent, anybody that was around my wife or children that I felt was a good influence, I, I, I was glad. And, and I built that and, and fueled that. Um, you know, so much of this all, I, I've got to just keep them only to me. That The root of that is your, just your lack of self, healthy self-confidence. You know what? Uh, but I do believe this, that once you get married, by and large, your relationships with other single adults ought to be really minimized. And your relationships with single adults of the opposite gender ought to be just eliminated. Okay? And uh, it's very important. Single friends are never going to understand the kind of time and commitment it takes for you to have your marriage be what it's supposed to be because they don't have that. And it's a hard thing, you know, especially for those of you who are like in your, you know, your early 20s and, you know, a, a lot of your friends are, are, are not married yet. It, it's a hard thing, but you got, you have to make that transition for the sake of uh, your home. Uh, somebody, somebody said that uh, married couples should spend 10 to 15 hours a, a week together. Somebody made that up. I mean, that's not in the Bible. But, you know, easily at the end of the day, if you spend an hour or two together and if you every week go out for a two or three hour date, and you should, uh, you're easily going to get to that 12 or 15 hour uh, mark. I mean, that kind of varies from situation to situation. Listen, adult life, I mean, I mean uh, some weeks are hard weeks. Uh, listen, everybody here who's had a real job knows that sometimes, man, well, this week I worked 70 hours. I didn't get 30 hours with my spouse this week. Uh, okay, you know, that happening on occasion, okay. You know what, but by and large, you, you need to really be making effort to spend time with your spouse, spouse at non-sexual times. And uh, there are a lot of other questions people turned in that are not related to our subject last week. We'll get to those as time goes on. And, and in this class, quite frankly, we're going to be speaking about issues quite frankly. And uh, we need that. And uh, if, you, if you don't want that, you're not in the right place. And uh, I want to help your home. Today actually is my 35th wedding anniversary. And uh, as I told you last week, I, I am happily married. My wife and I love each other today more than we did the day uh, that we married uh, each other. Uh, if I had to choose over again, I'd choose to marry my wife again. She's a little bit on the fence, but I would do that. And, um, and so I'm not coming to you as some person who uh, is this big professional who has it all together, but, but I am coming to you as somebody who's been around and seen a lot, and I do want to help you. And there's some aspects of my life I, I wouldn't give you, but, but I would. If you, if you could have the kind of marriage hat that I have, I, I would be happy. I, I really would. And uh, I thank God for my wife. And uh, she, she really is a good completer for me. You should be in your Bible in Luke chapter 19. The title of our thought today is, What do you expect? What do you expect? Uh, 
Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says here, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because, here it is, they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. We'll stop there. Um, I'm going to make some statements, and these are all statements of wrong expectations. Uh, I thought marriage would make me happy. I thought my spouse would meet all my needs. I thought my spouse would change after we got married. I thought if I found the right person, marriage would be easy. I thought good marriages never struggle. Those are all statements of false expectations. Now, Jewish people in the time of Jesus Christ, they were expecting a Messiah to come to overthrow Rome and to establish the external kingdom of God. The external kingdom of God was when the Messiah will reign as king over the whole earth, Israel is the head of the nations, and crush all their opposition. That's what they thought would immediately appear. But, in reality... Uh, before the Messiah would reign as king, the Messiah was going to come as a humble servant who would suffer and die and rise from the dead. All of what they expected is going to happen, but that isn't what Christ came to do the first time. And so because their expectations for the Messiah were not what Jesus of Nazareth was, by and large, that is one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reasons, the Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ. He wasn't what they thought he should be. I mean, understand, he was exactly what he was supposed to be. He was exactly what the Messiah was supposed to be in his personhood. He did exactly what the Messiah was supposed to do in his deeds. He fulfilled all of the scriptures the Messiah was supposed to fulfill. And yet, because he wasn't what they expected it to be, even though he was what he was supposed to be, they weren't interested in him for the most part. Um, but it's not just that expectations affected the Jews you know, our expectations greatly impact how happy we are. Our expectations influence how happy we are in our marriage. They influence how happy we are with our spouse. Uh, for instance, um, prior to becoming a pastor, one of my jobs, I was a project engineer for the Drackett Company, and uh, they, they, they would come to us and, and say, hey, we want to uh, say we want to make this plastic part here instead of buying it somewhere else. Uh, how much would it cost us initially to do this project, and what would our ongoing costs be? How long will it take us to do it? How much money is it going to save? And then we would work on that, and we would go back to them and give them some cost estimate and timing estimate. Well, this is going to cost $1 million, and it will take us, you know, uh, 12 months to get done. From that point forward, everything was based on what they expected. If it took us 14 months and cost us $1.2 million, even though that was a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable amount of money, we were trashed because they expected that other. 
Uh, if we did it in 10 months for $800,000, we were heroes. It wouldn't matter if our, their initial expectations were wrong. Everything, how happy they were, were based on how well we fulfilled their expectations. You know, realistic expectations are one of the keys to how happy we are in our marriage and with our spouse. And we need to be very careful with the expectations we have for our spouse, our home, and our marriage. I know this is shocking to those of you who are, are younger, and for those of you who have married, been married for a while, you, you understand this, but you know what? Just because you walk down an aisle, make some vows, and walk back out an aisle with a ring, you didn't come out a different person than you walked in. You were the same person with the ring and a commitment. Why would anybody expect anybody to suddenly be different? And if you do expect someone to be suddenly different because your expectations are wrong, you're going to be disappointed. Wrong expectations hurt you. Let me ask you, have you ever asked yourself, where did you get the expectations you have for your spouse? Where did you get the expectations you have for marriage? What do you expect from marriage? What do you expect from your spouse? What do you expect in the physical relationship God designed for a husband and wife? What are your expectations? What do you expect about getting along? Do you expect to never disagree? Do you expect to never disagree about big things? What did you expect from blending a family, two families, in-laws? What did you expect about getting along with one another and the time you spend together? How, how hard did you think it would be to intertwine two lives? What, what did you expect about handling money? What did you expect about adding children? What did you expect for discipline of children? What do you expect from your spouse's communication? You know, you can't change any of the expectations you had, but you can change the expectations you have for the future. Because your expectations and mine, they have the power to determine how happy or disappointed we are with the same thing. Remember, our expectations determine how happy we are with the same thing. Uh, Sharon was home uh, with, with our kids uh, she was a, a nurse and was home for 17 years. Um, most of that was just home full, full time. And then when uh, I think uh, Caleb might have been 14, um, 13 or 14, she went back to work uh, part time. And then when we started the church 13 years ago, because you don't know how things are going to turn out. Uh, you know, she went back to work full time, and then so we'd have some income and, and some insurance. And, and you know what? When she went back to work uh, full time, uh, if I didn't change my expectations, I was setting myself up to be disappointed. It'd have been foolish of me to expect the same amount of labor. And she's always been a very diligent person. It'd have been foolish of me to expect all the same things at home as when she was there for hours each week. I needed to lower mine. And by the way, she had a right to expect more from me. I, I honestly, I don't think in, in those years, I, I don't, if I ever made the bed 
I, I don't remember it. It would have been that rare. But you know what? You know, it, it was a reasonable for her to have some expectations that that would change. Though recently I've not been doing very well. She had a right to expect more help from me at home. We don't have time to discuss appropriate expectations in every area of marriage, but, you know, that would require some personal counsel. But, you know what, Uh, we can set down some general observations and principles to help us with our expectations in our marriage. Uh, Remember, your happiness in your marriage and your happiness with your spouse will in large part be related to what you expect from them. So here's some general observations. Here's number one. Think about where you got your expectations. Did you get them from good sources or bad sources? Where'd you get them? Did you get them from the Bible? Did you get them from dedicated Christian people, godly people? Did you get them from careless Christian people or ungodly people? Did you get them, did you get your expectations for your marriage from marriages that had been uh, able to work on itself for a long time? Do you expect to have the same relationship that someone else has at 20 years in six months? Where did you get your expectations? Most people, unfortunately, they get a lot of their expectations from movies in Hollywood. Have you ever thought about television problems? I mean, basically, in 30 to 60 minutes, there's some big crisis, and by the end of 60 minutes, it's solved. Have you ever noticed that? You know, in real life, crisis situations mostly are not solved in 30 to 60 minutes. In 30 to 60 minutes, if you've just got everyone calm and having a good discussion, you're doing pretty good. Where did you get your expectations for the physical relationship in your marriage. Quite frankly, most men got their expectations from pornography, and most women got their expectations from romance novels and romance movies. And by the way, neither one of those are real. And so consequently, the average man here thinks his wife is a refrigerator, and the average woman here thinks her husband is is an animal. And it's all because you have wrong expectations. You got them in the wrong place. Did you get your expectations from the way you were raised? Were you raised well? Did you get your expectations from, this is, what, this is where most people get their expectations. What I would do if I were them. See, I think probably, and that's, I think, the biggest strength of that particular book Because the the whole focus of that particular book is to try to, half of it is to talk about what men uh, expect from a relationship. And the other half of it is about what women expect from a relationship. And the good thing about that book is it causes us to think, you you know what, my spouse might not be another one of me. I really believe most of our grief in our marriage has come from we expect our spouse to communicate like we'd communicate, want what we'd want, talk like we'd talk, act like we'd act, look at everything like we look at them, and then when they don't, we're like, 
Where did you get your expectations? Here's number two. Go back in your Bible to Luke chapter 6. Just establishing some principles to help us get our expectations under better control. Our expectations. By the way, it's not just in marriage. This, this is good advice in every area of life. I mean, this works for work. This works for church. This works for ministry. Uh, all, all these. These are... Uh, Good principles that we're specifically applying to our, our marriages. Uh, here's number two. Have the highest expectations for yourself. In other words, look in your own eye first. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 41. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in uh, thy brother's eye? And that's like a little speck. But perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, here's his advice. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Do you see the principle? Look first in your own eye. (laughs) You can never see clearly unless you look first in your own eye. Now, let's just be honest. It's far more natural for all of us to have higher expectations for others than it is for ourselves. But that's the opposite of Christ's message. By and large, we have excuses and reasons for our failures and no level of of grace for someone else's failures and failure to meet expectations. And unfortunately, a lot of times that's especially true for our spouse. As I said to begin early in this class, I mean, you are the only person that can control you. The only person that you can control in any situation and circumstance is you. By the way, I don't know why you would want to control your spouse. I actually don't personally think that's healthy. I think you need to change that attitude. By the way, God could control everyone. He could force everyone to believe. He could force everyone to obey. Listen, if God doesn't want that kind of control over people, why do you? Now, don't get me wrong. I I think over young children, you ought to control them, and that's how they learn self-control is first you control them, and then you teach them self-control, and you gradually hand the reins of their life over to themselves as they get older. But but listen, you must control yourself. You can't control what your spouse does. You can't control their expectations. You can't control yours. By, By the way, I don't want to control the people at Bible Baptist Church. I almost hate looking on Facebook, and I don't look on it that much. I mean, man, you got people taking pictures of their daughters and everything else in their underwear because it's okay, because there's sand under their feet. I mean, that's stupid. I don't want to see that stuff. People that call themselves saved traveling around the country with somebody that's not their spouse. I don't need that. I don't want to control your life. At church, because I'm the authority here, I have to have some measure of control of what goes on here. But you know what? You have to control yourself. 
let me ask you, are you trying to control or manipulate your spouse? Now, a lot of women, a lot of wives try to control and manipulate their spouse, uh, their husband, through sex or lack thereof. And a lot of husbands, they try to control and manipulate their wife through their anger. Why are you doing that? Have the highest expectations for yourself. And Jesus taught us, look first in our own eye. Here's number three. Keep yourself in a place that motivates you to always be working on yourself. By the way, what you're doing this morning is one of the best things you'll ever do for your marriage. One of the best things uh, you'll ever do for your marriage is, is sit in a biblical church every time the doors squeak. Because what that does is you are always working on yourself. If you're in a true biblical church and they're preaching the scriptures, I mean, God's spirit is working on your mind and he's working on your heart and he's working on your behavior. and He's working on your attitudes and all those things make better, better people make better marriages. It's not like you're going to say, wow, if I do this and this and this, everything will be hunky-dory. The best thing you do is bring a better person to your relationship, and you'll have a better relationship. And that's one of the things a biblical church and things of God does. And lastly, number four, never expect your spouse to be another one of you. If I, was gonna, if I could get you to take home one statement from, from this entire lesson, that would be it. Early in our marriage, I made my wife much more miserable than she needed to be because I expected her to be another one of me. Say, so why would you expect that? Because I liked me. By the way, you like you. That, that's why you're supposed to want, you want your spouse to be another one of you because you like the way you handle things. You want them to do it just like you do. So don't, don't look down on me. I, I'm, just, I'm just no different. I'm just honest enough to say it. Listen, God made the natural differences in the gender because together we become complete as a couple. Have you ever noticed that most good marriages very often have uh, people that are they're kind of opposite in a lot of ways? And then together... They become a complete unit. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, that would be my biggest beef with most, and, and I read marriage books because uh, I do a fair amount of counseling and I, and I want to be a help. Uh, that would be my biggest beef with most marriage books is they try to get the man to be the second woman in the house. And, and as if all of a sudden now he's not, if he's not, a good communicator of his emotions, then he's not a good husband. You know what? Most men, if you get them to realize they have emotions, you're probably doing all right. But but listen, guys, if, if you turn your wife into this, another man in, in, in the house, and, and I don't care if women go deer hunting and gut deer, but you know what? If your big goal for your wife is that she guts deer, you, you, you know what? You probably you need, need to just ask yourself, am, am I letting my wife... You know, be a woman. I don't, again, and I don't care if women do that. I grew up on a farm. Man, my mom, my grandma, my sisters, they're tough chicks. Uh, they're working people. Uh, I have no beef against that. My, my beef is a man turning his wife into another man. And my beef is a wife trying to turn her husband into another woman. 
See, see, the great goal of marriage is not to think alike. The great goal of marriage is to think together. Because if we think together, that means that she brings something unique to every key situation and I bring something key and unique to each situation. And that means together we'll handle things better. All over this class are people who are disappointed in your heart with your spouse because you have wrong expectations. And what I would just ask you to do, you know what? A lot of them, they're good people. They're good husbands. They're good wives. They're good parents. And and what I would say to you, please set yourself free from the disappointment you're causing yourself from wrong expectations. And set them free from this cloud that hangs over them all at all times because they're not what you think they should be, where in reality, you know what? They're really pretty good. You should have some blank papers, and uh, those are all to uh, turn in uh, questions. And uh, I want everybody to write something on there. If you don't have a serious question, I don't care. Uh, just... Uh, Put a little X or, or write something silly that'll make me laugh later. That that'll all be fine too. Or if you have a, a serious question, just put it on, fold it together, set it up here, grab your book, uh, turn in your uh, blank envelopes with uh, the surveys uh, up there also. And uh, do we have anybody here who did not get a copy of the surveys yet? The blank survey copies. Okay, you didn't. Did, were you able to get those, Heather? Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, you're fine. Thank you. You guys didn't get one. And so just uh, fill those in, turn them in, you're dismissed.